DiscerningHearts.com. In cooperation with the Institute for Priestly Formation, presents The Heart of Hope, Suffering and the Cross of Christ, with Deacon James Keating. Deacon Keating is the Director of Theological Formation at the Institute for Priestly Formation, located at Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska. Deacon Keating has led more than 400 workshops on moral theology and spirituality, and has authored numerous books, including The Way of Mystery, Listening for Truth, and Spiritual Fatherhood. The Heart of Hope, Suffering and the Cross of Christ, with Deacon James Keating. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. The name of our series is The Heart of Hope, and yet we're talking about suffering. We were created to know, love, and serve the Lord and to be happy with him forever and the next. What then is the purpose of our life here? Some would say maybe we were born to suffer. Well, suffering's part of it, but it's not the purpose of it. It comes accidentally as a result of, you know, the Christian anthropology, which is, there was some gash, some wound at the very beginning, which is a great mystery. We can't, you know, some people simplistically dismiss Garden of Eden, disobedience of Adam and Eve. They dismiss original sin. But they're being very simplistic about that. There is something broken in the human who strives many times to be good and doesn't reach it or plots and plans to be evil as if it's uh, their right or second nature to them. That, that's out of kilter. Something's broken in the human. Something is not ordered correctly toward our happiness. So as all the writers our church teach us, mystics, doctrine, we live in a fallen world. So suffering is inevitable but it's not the purpose. The purpose is intimacy with reality. And the highest form of reality is God opening up his perfectly happy communion. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit opening up that perfect communion of happiness and sharing it with us. That's the purpose of life. The purpose of life is to be taken up into that gift of sharing in Trinitarian happiness, which, of course, no one deserves. We have no right to. And it is the source of our joy to receive such a gift. Simultaneously, as we are receiving this gift through grace, the sacraments, faith, hope, and love, Simultaneously as we're receiving this, the body, the affections, can undergo great suffering through our own foibles, our own choices to sin, morbidity and decrepitude, aging. We're finite. So simultaneously with our reaching out to respond to the great purpose of life, sharing in Trinitarian love by the grace of Jesus Christ, we suffer 
our humanity. But that suffering of our humanity must be placed into this grace, the grace of God sharing his life with us. That's what purifies us, that's what elevates us, and ultimately that's what makes us fit to live in heaven. We take all of our suffering and relate it to this gracious love of God. Purification is a term that we hear the mystics, especially the mystical doctors of the church, describe that which occurs in our understanding of purgatory. And so many of them have said, better to experience that now, experience purgation, the purgatory now, than to experience it after death. There's some sense there of the intensity of the suffering, perhaps. And this, again, is a mystery about how does a spirit suffer, but, you know, after death. But the purity of the spirit, perhaps, the intensity of the pure spirit. That will always be related or associated with our bodies. But how we're related immediately after death with the whole configuration of the body disintegrating. How the spirit stays connected to matter. Very, very fascinating mystery, but our doctrine says that it does, that the spirit somehow always will be related to matter, to our bodies. This sense that it's better to suffer now, the purification than afterwards, is somehow related to the intensity of the suffering. And we know this sounds perhaps cynical to those who are you know, physically suffering now that the suffering they're undergoing now is not as bad as it would be after. And pastorally, of course, we're sensitive that we're not trying to degrade anyone's suffering. But ultimately, and theologically, the mystics, the saints, Catherine of Siena, Catherine of Genoa, others have said, that it is better for us to undergo it now. One of the reasons it's better for us is that when we die, we will immediately participate in the depths of divine happiness. And so who wouldn't want that? And we know that if we order whatever suffering we're undergoing now to our relationship with Christ, nothing is lost in that suffering. Nothing is lost. There's nothing wasted. People will come in and say to someone in the hospital or some psychic suffering that someone's undergoing, what a waste, what a waste this suffering is. Faith tells us that everything related to Jesus and his love for us is always retained by his sacred heart. No suffering is lost. And so everything that we are suffering is actually facilitating a deeper intimacy with him. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it even dawned on man what God has in store for those who love him. So if you are relating all of your pain to his love for you on the cross, your pain is actually deepening your intimacy with Christ. This is the profound mystery that is reflected for us in the Mass. Because Jesus' own suffering on the cross is both gathering all of us who suffer to his sacred heart 
and simultaneously deepening the church's intimacy with the Trinity if we relate it to Christ at the Mass, at Calvary, the Resurrection. So, just like we pick up all the crumbs of the Eucharist and we have all those 12 baskets left over so that nothing is wasted, everything will be gathered up by the Spirit and relate it to the love of God. So it is with our suffering. If we will to order that suffering to Jesus' love for us, he will preserve us. We will not be lost. Nothing will be wasted. And our intimacy with him will be deepened. And paradoxically in our suffering, we will know consolation because of the depths of our intimacy with Jesus. And I think that's the purgatory that we want to undergo here, so that when death comes, we awaken only to happiness. When we talk about physical suffering and emotional suffering, there is a difference to the extent that for a woman who would give birth, for example, the pains that you suffer, you remember the labor, you remember the birth, but you do not experience the physical suffering again. That cannot be said necessarily for emotional suffering. That emotional suffering in particular that's rooted in the heart because we go back and we will go back in memory and recall and the pain is as acute as it was when we first experienced it and it stays with us. That suffering is so different than the physical suffering that we endure. The emotional suffering, though, that retains such power has probably not been fully related to the love of Christ because Christ will diffuse even the emotional pain so that we can carry it not as a place of reliving suffering, but as a place of deepening communion with him. So, when you were a little child, your father wounded you emotionally, or when you were first married, your spouse hurt you emotionally. And in our memory, of course, we can go back to the very first year of marriage and we can say, yep, he or she did this to me and it had this effect upon my consciousness, upon my emotions, my feelings. If it's unrelated, if it remains unrelated to salvation, then when we go back there in our memory, what we will find is resentment, anger, continual pain. But if we take those wounds and we relate them to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, if we relate them to the Mass, the purest access point of the Paschal mystery of Jesus. Jesus, when I was first married, my spouse belittled me and abused me emotionally. 
And I felt so alone, so isolated. For everything I'd hoped for in marriage was in disarray. I give you that wound now. I give you that pain. I want you to carry it because I can't. And when we do this on a regular basis, when we give in prayer our wounds to Jesus, our emotional wounds, over time developmentally, as our intimacy with him deepens, his communion dissipates any of the negative affections, anger, hurt, resentment. And he begins to free us to enter those wounds as a school of compassion for others. It's his power now. We don't do this. He invites us into those wounds with him, not alone. And the wounds become birthplace of compassion. Without Jesus and without that relation of these emotional wounds to the Paschal Mystery, they just harbor our acute suffering, anger, regret, resentment. They become places not of the birth of compassion, but places unrelated to love, so that instead to numb the pain we drink, or we act out in inappropriate ways, or we try to escape into the superficialities of American culture, because I just can't take the emotional pain in the memory anymore. Well, that's not what Jesus wants. He wants the full and explicit, detailed sharing of that emotional wound with him, so he can enter it, heal you, and reorder that wound from a place of desolation to a place where you give birth to compassion for other people. So yes, emotional pain remains deeply embedded unless it is related to Christ himself and his love for us. We'll return in just a moment to The Heart of Hope, Suffering and the Cross of Christ with Deacon James Keating. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. Litany of Humility O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. 
from the desire of being esteemed. Deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved. Deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled. Deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored. Deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised. Deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others. Deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted. Deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected. Deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I. That others may be esteemed more than I. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. That others may be chosen and I set aside. That others may be praised and I unnoticed. That others may be preferred to me in everything. That others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to The Heart of Hope, Suffering and the Cross of Christ with Deacon James Keating. Suffering in that purifying act of love that it is, ultimately, how we embrace it or reject it, it can manifest itself throughout times, particularly in light of, say, the experience of the elderly, those who may have throughout their entire life been faithful to their best extent to the teachings of Jesus and entering in and desiring to be in communion with him to the their best of abilities, and yet they get to a certain point in their life where they are made to lose everything and to suffer in those later years. The loss of all the things that they had attained and brought them peace. Why would 
God allow them, the faithful, to suffer? Yes, you can see this in so many of the elderly. And the way you described it in terms of the the process of uh, losing over time everything that's precious. There's a, a mourning, a grieving that goes on that if it's dealt with in a mature way, a spiritually mature way, it aids us in holiness and spiritual maturity. But there's a temptation to deal with grieving and mourning and loss in immature ways. And that fixes us in anger, regret, and resentment. So a couple grows together in in marriage and they have children, but the children grow up and leave. And they begin to realize that, well, well, they really didn't fix their hearts upon one another as a couple, nor have they been fixing their heart upon God. They've been fixing their heart disproportionately upon their children. And so when the children leave, there is this incredible mourning that oftentimes is never dealt with maturely. And the couple then falls into a desolation or a loneliness with each other. They never cultivated a real relationship with each other or with God. Then perhaps one of the spouses grows frail or sick, and even the spouse begins to be taken from them. And then economics enters, and perhaps they have to downsize their house, move into an apartment, and the space becomes limited, small. Even the space they're living in becomes smaller. And they are thrown upon one another and God. And they have to make a very dramatic choice. What or who am I living for? And of course, God has always been trying to teach them. You are living for me, and I am living for you. And you got lost a little bit. But the relentless exigency of growing old and losing material things, money, status, power, prestige, even our children, All of this loss is a purifying way, a purifying process to give us even one last chance before death visits to make the decision that we should have been making all along. We live for God and God alone. We live for God and God alone. And as we begin to make that decision, no matter how late in life, he floods us with not emptiness and not some sense of poor me or woe is me or look what I've lost, but he floods us with a fullness which can only be called simplicity. And the simplicity is based upon our entire vulnerability to receiving his love receiving his love anew through spouse, or receiving his love anew through adult children, or receiving his love anew even in the simplicity that economics has forced upon us, a one-room apartment, 
or even one room. But even in that one room, God reaches us, consoles us, and brings us happiness. It's never, never too late. The purifying process is ordered toward our happiness. It's never ordered toward some type of fixation on mourning or grief. Mourning and grief is a passageway that must be related to God's love. And then all happiness floods our soul. But we have to choose that. Can joy and suffering go hand in hand? St. Therese of Lazur was an expert at this. And many, many other saints are experts at this. We presume that Mother Teresa of Calcutta was an expert at this. In the depths of her desolation, she still sensed an intimacy, even though it was, as she says so paradoxically, the way that God chose to love me was in his absence. The way that God chose to love me was in his absence. And what she meant by that was she could not affectively experience him. She could not experience him in feelings. But notice the sentence. The way God chose to love me, she was still receiving love, was in his absence, and yet she did not feel it. There is, even in the darkest of nights, the possibility of sensing at the very depths of that darkness, of that absence, presence. And as long as we receive that presence, we are tasting joy. Obviously not the fullness of joy, but we are tasting joy. Usually given to us under the guise of consolation or peace. Peace and suffering are not mutually exclusive in the order of faith, hope, and love. You've been listening to The Heart of Hope with Deacon James Keating. To hear and or to download this episode along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we ask that you tell a friend about discerninghearts.com And join us next time for The Heart of Hope with Deacon James Keating.